Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Lost Series. <laughs> I call it the Lost Series because if you remember back earlier in the year, I started a series called the Dashboard Hunting Mentor Series, and this is for new hunters. It was it was for new hunters. I'd recorded a few episodes, and if you've been kind of following along in the show, you'd know that I uh, had had a laptop burn in a truck fire, and on that laptop was a bunch of these audio recordings where they were not yet backed up to the cloud, and so I lost like three episodes. So what we're doing now is we're going to revive it. I've got my friend Roger Holscher on the line here. He's been on the show many times. Uh, how many times have you been on? Two or three times, Roger? Uh, yeah, I was on once with Dennis Stokes, and then the other one was just a solo episode early this spring. That's right, after we, bear season. Yeah, after bear season, you got that. You got that big old bear, and and uh, I want to talk about your season a little bit, and uh, and then jump into uh, you know a line of questioning that the listeners sent in for us, and kind of what I thought is once we get to that point, I'll read the question, and and um, if I have any input, I'll answer it, and you answer it, and but mainly it's you that uh, these folks are counting on. So without further ado, let me kick this episode off. Guys, welcome back to the Hunting Dashboard Mentor Series. Actually, I said that backwards, didn't I, Roger? The Dashboard Hunting Mentor Series. Let's do it. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive, and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, coming at you from the Broken Tine Studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. And as I said in the intro there, this is the next installment of the Dashboard Hunting Mentor Series with my pal, Roger Halsher. Roger, thanks for joining me, brother. Can you hear me okay, Roger? Yep, I'm good. I, I missed you there, so I... I uh, Let's see. There now I'm tracking. Now I got you. Was that my phone or what? I don't know. If it uh, if we keep having some problems, I might try a different audio system going on here. Well, now you sound good. House, now you sound good, but it was totally blanked out there because I'm like, hey, how's it going? And then nothing, nothing was there. <laughs> so, <laughs> whatever, man. I'm just gonna keep it in there. We'll roll with it, dude. That, that works. I it. I have no shame. I I let people know right off the bat that I'm a disaster with this audio stuff. So yeah, it's authentic. It is. It's very authentic. I appreciate you saying that, man. I, I need the, I need the support, man. I appreciate you joining me for another episode. Um, you've yeah, had, you having me. you've had a heck of a season, man. Uh, I mean, like, did you leave any mule deer for the rest of us? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was trying to fill two bear tags instead of two deer tags, but yeah, yeah. Well, that's I'll settle for that buck. Hey, yeah, I'd settle for that buck any day of the week, man. If you guys, if you guys don't know, uh, jump on Instagram and go to at backcountry yabba gabba. Right? What? God, I'm, I always have a hard time with it. 
So Baba Yaga, B A B A Y A G A, but an underscore in between both of those. Yeah, and I'll put that in the show notes, but yeah. you guys got to go check that out and follow Roger because A, he's a wealth of information, B, he's a solid hunter, uh, and C, he got one hell of a buck. Um, not to mention the bear. We that's what uh, the we had Roger on last summer to talk about his bear uh that he that he got here in Idaho and and then uh, now we're going to we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about this mule deer, man. I, I kind of want to hear the story. I haven't heard the story. No, I appreciate it. The uh the late season hunt one or the general season hunt one that big one which which big one uh yeah that was uh the november hunt i had um uh, here the, in southwest the, the, yeah yeah the recent one yeah yeah that's uh gosh i mean you uh the idahoans are gonna not like this story much but i've been here for four years now and in that time i've drawn two once in a lifetime deer tags. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah and, and if you so, if you guys have any notion of going after roger with a pitchfork keep in mind he is a cop and uh he's ready <laughs> oh man <laughs> i you know and i i gotta give this last one to to the eastman tag hub thing and i was on there before the draw season I was looking up stuff and i was like oh there's a good forecast trophy forecast in this unit so i figured i'd throw my rain for it and it's uh it worked out really well i i've been putting in for sheep the last couple of years with a buddy of mine and this year he had a had a baby in july so we weren't gonna be able to give sheep hunting a whole lot of time if we had drawn yeah a good sheep tag so i decided to put in for deer tag and you know ended up drawing it um and actually i think i was in a theater scene watching Top Gun, the new Top Gun, when the draw results came out. And I just about yelled out loud in the middle of the theater. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's, uh, oh, you yeah, went and saw it in it, the theater, even. Yeah, yeah. Was, I think that's the first time I've been to the theater since the whole China virus thing. Yeah, I don't... But, dude, uh, I haven't been to a movie theater in, like, a decade. Uh, what... Yeah. It, what Was was that movie... I haven't seen... I haven't seen the new Top Gun. Is it pretty good? Yeah, yeah, it's it's worth saying for sure. Is it? Um, most of the time, I usually let movies come out on DVD or I guess not even DVD anymore, whatever the streaming services are. Yeah. Uh, but this one, I decided to go see because I had some buddies that saw it and said it was real good. But anyway, so I draw this tag, and it's it's a November tag, which it, I still have mixed emotions about it because a everybody loves hunt the rut and it's a rut tag, but it left me feeling like I was kind of half-assing it because I didn't really. I've been in this unit a lot. I've had a, a buddy of mine I work with drew the the uh, trophy bull tag in that unit a couple years ago, and then Chris's grandpa through that unit uh, last year for a bull tag. And so we've been in that unit a lot and I've been in that unit a lot anyway. So I know it pretty well, but still I hate not scouting for a deer tag and, and all that. But being that it was a November tag, there's August hunt in there that goes all the way through September, a bunch of antelope hunting in there, mm-hmm. general deer, elk, everything 
to get to this tag. And so, you know, me putting eyes on deer in August or July isn't going to do me a whole lot of good come November. Yeah, for sure. And this so is I just kind of felt just, like just to clarify, this is mule deer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I just, you know, as seasons progress and it was getting closer, it's just, I spent more time um, getting my weapon system dialed and my loads dialed and did a lot of practicing with that and to make sure I was ready for that stuff, that side of things. But I always felt like I wasn't doing that tag a, a good service just because I hadn't been putting a lot of time scouting and, and doing all that stuff. But it's, so. Uh, Scouting wise, yeah. uh, you, basically, you found this tag uh, by using Eastman's Tag Hub. Yeah, I had a I had the unit south of it um, for that first tag I drew up here. So I always kind of knew about the unit, but being the first year that I put in for a deer tag in a couple years, um, I went through the Tag Hub stuff and was looking at the the forecast of the different units and draw odds and yeah, you know, proximity to where I live and. You know, just trying to get something that would be doable, uh, good trophy forecast, um, and pretty, you know, it, it's not great odds of drawing it, but I figured it was like, why not throw Hail Mary out there? It's supposed to be a good trophy forecast year, so. Yeah, heck I'd yeah. i have it. So, uh, yeah, so. That, as a third-party guy, because I, I talk about Eastman's Tag Hub quite a bit, and I, you know, I, not too much time, but what's what's your thought? Did it uh, do what you felt like you paid for and, and uh, get your money's worth out of, out of the Tag Hub? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, I, every year I subscribe to the Tag Hub stuff on the Eastman's. Uh, I get both the regular rifle journal and the bow hunting journal. Mm-hmm. I got the I ended up buying uh, their mule deer um, class, the online course. Yeah. 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 That's, there's just, cause there's how much information is out there on podcasts and everything else on, there's a lot of information about August, September, October deer hunting, but there's, the more I was looking into the rut hunting stuff, there's not a whole lot of, that kind of information out there because there's not a whole lot of tags given yeah. for uh, rut. So I was going to say that's, that's the, I think limitation would be a smaller audience because it, it is, it's super limited for November hunting for yeah. mule deer, but man, it's worth it. I've yeah. done one of those and I, uh, I yeah. it was awesome. You know, I've, this is the second one I've done and I, if I had to choose, I would still rather do early season over rut. I don't know. It, and people are gonna hate me for saying that, but <laughs> I just, I, I just feel well, you know, why is that? Was, I, I guess growing up, um, where I hunted in northeastern California, it was archery in August. We had twenty-three day seasons, and mm-hmm. it was in August and the beginning of September. So you know, there were velvet muleys and ash herbs and muleys and. That's just kind of what I grew up knowing. And I think it's easier for me to find deer during that time of the year because I've got more experience hunting that time of the year. And I'm not a cold weather hunter. I <laughs> I can admit that one. A fair yeah, weather guy, huh? Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be fair weather, but you know, I I like to spend all day out in the woods and not, you know, a couple hours morning go back to camp warm up you know 
Yeah. And it's just a lot easier to do that when it's warmer than freezing your butt off. Um, yeah, for sure. It's, a, and it's, you know, I ran into, I lost a, a day and a half because of the snow, um, which is, you know, it's pros and cons, but I just, the snow in this unit was, it was hard because it's so broken up, you know, sage and juniper. Everybody's like, oh man, they're going to pop out there. They're going to, well, everything looked, you know, I guess I'm probably used to spotting mule deer by their color and, you know, the white ass, mm-hmm. you know, on the hillside, right? And when everything is the same color as they are and white, now you just, unless they're moving, it's real hard to pick them apart in that kind of broken snow, rocky juniper country, sage country. So, um, yeah. I guess I've just geared more towards the early season, um, bachelor groups, high country. Just, yeah, they both have they have different things that they offer, and and I I would yeah. I would probably tend to agree with when we're talking about mule deer. Uh, but but up here up here up north, uh, Idaho wise, man, there is it, it's hard to top this November. Uh, whitetail rut hunt. Uh, I mean, it, it's just, it's a ball, man. And I, um, yeah. man, I, I just, I honestly, I had a, I had a great year season wise. I just, I f- filled my last tag, uh, on a, on a little four point whitetail on, a, on this late archery hunt. And, um, God, it was, it was just fun, man. Hunting in, I like seriously three and yeah. a half feet of snow. Uh, I, I went in on snowshoes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I used snowshoes and, and packing that sucker out was a bitch. Uh, oh, but, uh, it, it was just, I don't know. There's something about it that I really, really like. And, and so, uh, but when it, when yeah. it comes to mule deer, I don't know, I, I'd, I'd probably tend to agree with you. I think that that late summer, early fall, um, high country mule deer hunt, it, there's something nostalgic about that. And at that time of year, that's what we think of, you know, that's that Western, yeah. That's that Western hunt, you know, what that's what comes to mind is that high country mule deer hunt. And I just, you know, it's, it's tough to beat. Yeah. And it's, I think a lot of it too is it's, like I said, it's, I know where to look for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I can e-scout easy and go this drainage, this drainage has got this, you know, what I'm looking for in a drainage, it's got all this stuff. And then I can go there and generally find them. And when it's rut, it's just roll the dice, you know, trying to find the pockets of does and which has ended up what killed this buck. But it's, uh, it's just, and I've only hunted this my second year hunting a rut tag. And so I guess I just don't have the long experience doing it to say I'd rather do that than an early season tag. But yeah, I'm a sucker for velvet bucks too, though. Mm-hmm. There's just something about that those fuzzy antlers, but it's so funny, man. Because yeah. it's like one of those things where if I was hunting a velvet buck, I I would be it would be like one of those things where you know oh that's that's a super big deal to me. That's that's what's important to me right now. Um, you know, because uh, I guess where I'm going with it is I've noticed that I things that I thought I was more passionate about than other things, such as hunting a high country velvet antlered buck um, versus like a, a high country hard horned, you know, October mule deer uh, versus hunting September elk versus hunting spring bear. 
you know, all these things, I what I found is my thing, my thing is whatever tag I have and whatever season is open. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like yeah. I love no, yeah. all of it. I love all of it. And I, I can't, I wish I could just say I had one thing, but I, I just don't, man, especially man, spring bears really. Yeah. I, and we talked about this last oh, time man. we were on the show. Yeah. It's really creeping yeah. up there. You know, and that's, we are both blessed to be in Idaho because of the amount of tags that we can get for the different species. Yeah. Yep. I mean, growing up in California, it was, you got one deer tag, maybe two, uh, elk, antelope were all once in a lifetime. Bear, um, towards, you know, I think 2012 was when they outlawed bear hunting with dogs. And so it was kind of more of a, a target of opportunity if you had a bear tag in your pocket while you were deer hunting, you know, and saw one close enough. But it's mm. so, it was strictly like I pretty much lived the year for those 23 days during end of August and September. And I never did any. Uh, really any mule deer hunting in October. I got a, filled a couple, three, I think three deer tags during October, but that was over the course of, I don't know, 18 years or something, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I did most of it time. in archery. Yeah. So that was, that was my thing. If you would ask me that, but then since being up here, like we've talked, man, that spring bear hunting's got my, got me going. Yeah. And, I think I would rather do that over over anything if you had to nail it down to one. Dude, you need to come up north with me and and spring bear hunt over bait, man. It is it, it is something Dude, else. It is something yeah. else. I mean, just watching all these different bear bears come in on the bait and you know wrestling with the barrel and trying to scare the other bears away and it just the just watching the behavioral side of these bears during spring bear over bait, man. It's such a a unique experience it's such a unique oh, experience and i would absolutely love that because that i did a lot of ground blind hunting in california mm -hmm. I mean, that's predominantly what you did was sit a ground blind over water or tree stand over a water hole yeah, yeah especially yeah. in the, the years that it was droughty and hot but and so i could sit in a ground blind for 14 hours a day and be fine. Some guys are like, dude, I can't do this. You know, after two hours, they get fidgety. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, so, I, I, no, I, I max out about can. four hours. I, I really do. Yeah. I, I max out at about four hours. I, and two hours, dude, a few years ago was pushing it for me, but, uh, hunting, switching to this whole November whitetail thing we were just talking about, uh, that has, has built my stamina for a, for a, a ground blind. But now were you guys, um, kind of sitting on travel corridors, trails in, in ground blinds or how were you guys doing that? Yeah. For November. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, I, basically I know where, I know where the does go and I know in November where the yeah. does are, the, the bucks are going to be there. Um, yep. had a, had a pretty, it was a pretty, uh, skinny season this year in terms of what bucks were available. And in fact, during November, the biggest whitetail buck that, um, I saw, was actually when I took my daughter out and he came into some grunts. Uh, we, I was using that new grunt tube by Feltz and he came yep. in just, you know, huffing and puffing and stomping his foot and he was raking some brush. Uh, and I thought he was going to kind of come out to my right a little bit. Uh, it's really hard to explain the terrain. Just, it was really weird side hill setup we had, but we were sitting in a ground blind, me and my daughter. And 
um, it was it was starting to get dark, and, and but this big sucker comes out to the left, and I didn't know he was there until he like kind of wheezed, and he stomps his foot, yeah. and he's staring in our direction, looking for this buck that's grunting at him. Um, and, and I, I turned around, I told my, I told my daughter, I'm like, Shiloh, there's a huge buck right there. And he was a big buck, man, for, uh, you know, for if somebody's listening in like Kansas, this is not going to be like a super impressive buck for you, but, but for a North Idaho, uh, public land, whitetail buck, uh, this was a great buck. And, and he comes out and my daughter, like he's close enough that we have to be pretty, you know, cautious sound wise. She grabs uh, or she, she lifts the rifle and gets this thing in the scope. And right as she's taking it off safety, he bolts. And um, uh. Uh, it was, dude, I, I didn't sleep for like three nights over this, but it was, <laughs> it was just awesome. Uh, when I say it was a skinny season, I didn't see a lot of big shooter, uh, you know, monster whitetails like, uh, that, yeah. that I, I think I had in the past, you know, not that I'm like a big trophy hunter. In fact, the buck I ended up shooting, um, <clears throat> during late archery, which is actually still going on. Uh, you know, he's just a little, he's just a little four point, a little, one of those basket bucks, you know, but I was happy cause I, I'm hey, man. Just oh, heck yeah. I'm out of, I'm over it, man. <laughs> just hey, needed me in the freezer. Any, anything you shoot with a bow is a trophy in my book. Yeah, man, for it is sure. so hard to do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but, um, yeah, other than that, it, it just, it, it was a lot of fun. Lots of action in terms of small bucks coming in to grunts and, and bleats. Uh, and only one responded to the rattles. But that's what's fun about the whitetail hunt is you could do all these different sounds and, right, and try right. all these different techniques. And, uh, you know, it's it's just a lot of fun. Anyway, I, I got us off course there. Yeah, right. I love it. So... Um, well, I, I want to start since we are on the dashboard hunting, hunting mentor series. That is a, that is a, uh, quite the a tongue twister there when I try it to say is, that too fast. Is. So, <laughs> yeah. and, and I had, I've had a couple people ask me, why do you call it the dashboard hunting mentor series? Because most people folks listen to podcasts while they're driving. And so it's yep. like, I, I'm coming right out of the speakers in the dashboard and, and we're, we're talking about, you know, how to get started in hunting. And so the Dashboard Hunting Mentor Series is really geared towards people that are just getting into hunting or only have a couple of years experience. And they're just looking for like the basics to make them, uh, you know, take them from it taking five years to figure something out like a concept to to figuring it out, you know, within a, the, their first season or two. And and that's kind of the idea with this series. It's, it's great for youth hunters or, or anything else like that. So. I, I want to start. You're the first uh, actual guest, Roger, that I've had on for this series. Usually, I just do this alone, and so um, this is really cool because, you know, as I as I explained to you, you you're an expert. I consider you an expert in like gear. I consider you an expert when it comes to long range shooting or optics and dialing in your weapon and being proficient and lethal with your with your weapon, whether it's a bow or a rifle. Uh, you're just a, you're just a solid guy and, and like just super dependable. If you've got a tag in your pocket, that something's going to die. And, and that's why I like having somebody like you on, uh, for this series. And so with all that said, I, I want to ask you to respond to like there, let's say that we have got a, uh, some folks out there that have never actually been hunting but here it's December, and they have made the decision that in the year 2023, they are going to become active tag-holding hunters. 
And I want, I, I, and I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but what would you say the top three things in order for these hunters to be successful or, or fairly successful? And by, by saying that I'm defining success as you get a, something in return from your hunt, whether that is just a fulfillment and a good time. And, and, you know, you see some wildlife, uh, you have a great camp, you have a, you, you just have a great overall experience or if you define success as an actual notch tag at the end of your hunt, that's, that is up to you as a new hunter to determine. But what yeah. do you, what would you say, Roger, would be like three things that somebody needs to really focus on because fall is, you know, it seems like it's a long way off, but it'll be here before we know it. Uh, for yeah. somebody going out for the first time in the fall of 2023 that they should really focus on in the next six, seven, eight months. Now we, uh, we talking more kind of gear stuff or are we talking just no not not general? quite we'll we'll get to the gear stuff i'm talking about okay. in general uh, in terms of proficiency on, okay. as as a yep. hunter what what is going to keep them safe what is going to have make them have a good experience what is going to make them successful or lead to their success those kind of things yeah um oh first thing i would say is knowledge um man you can't put a price on that stuff whether it's um, you know, going to like Brian Lambert's has got his, um, his Western hunting summits, mm-hmm. you know, the Eastman's, they do all this, these seminars at a lot of these shows, like going to the seminars, going to these classes, um, and, and soaking up as much of that as you can reading can, the Eastman's journals, because there's so much in those things. Yeah, the, can I ask like you talked about, yeah. A question on on that when because sure. uh, you mentioned you you've you'd gone through the Eastman's Mule Deer course is yes. in your opinion because I I have an opinion too I and and you know I don't I, I won't share that yet but in your opinion would somebody that has never been hunting get some value in that course or do you think that that course might be a little bit over their head? Uh, I think there's probably parts that they might not understand right away. Uh, but when they get to a situation, they'll go, ah, I remember he talked about this, mm-hmm. you know, and then it'll click because certain things you just got to experience. But um, yeah. it's it's all having that that knowledge in the bank for when you get into those situations, you'll go, I remember this. This is what it said or, you know, this is what they talked about uh, because you can't, you know, it's it's like drinking out of a fire hose. You know, there's so much knowledge and information in it that you know that's something that you keep on going through you don't just do the course once and got it and you're good to go like keep keep going through it because you'll pick up on different things and the more you the more you hunt the more you experience other things certain things will just be kind of stored in your i got this bank and other ones will have to think about and so the more you kind of experience it and the more you listen to it the more it just kind of sinks in and you don't have to think about things like i don't even i I don't even have to stop to think about okay what do i have to do like i know i have to check the wind all the time it's just Mm -hmm. something i routinely do just because i've done it so much and heard it talked about so much and everything so like that's one of those things that i don't have to think about but when it comes to elk hunting i'm very novice at elk hunting so there's different things i have to stop and think about and that's listen to the podcast and all the seminars and your school of September series and, and all these things that 
I, I listen, I download them on, I listen to the same ones. I download them. I listen to them in elk camp, like at night before I go to sleep. Like I'll just turn on one of the year episodes. I, I do that too. To it. <laughs> just, just to, just to, you know, when you're solo, there's a lot of dead air. And so I'll sit there and listen to that stuff and fall asleep. And, you know, they're just keeping all that information fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's so, a great yeah, I would say definitely the knowledge you can't, you can't put a price on it necessarily. Like you could, you could go out and buy, you know, this whiz bang, whatever. And, you know, and it's got a price to it, but you can't really put, and then everybody thinks about say the, the Western hunting summit, you know, Brian Barney's up there and you know, there's his thing. Elks is saying, I mean, everything's his thing, but you can't put yeah. a price on it. But everybody looks at the price tag that Lampers has on his website for that. And they go, oh, man, that's expensive. Well, when you break it down and look what you're getting, you're probably going to save that money and not buying gear that you shouldn't have bought and then buy gear that you should have bought later and wasting the money on the gear that you shouldn't have bought, yeah. if that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, you're, you're saving that money because you're getting great info from guys right off the bat and being able to see their equipment and do all this stuff instead of going, yeah, I saw this once on this YouTube, you know, whatever. I think I'll try it. And then you get it and you're like, huh, oh, this doesn't work for me and or, you know, whatever. And it, I got multiple totes I'm looking at right now in my garage. That is a testament to that. Yeah. <laughs> you I, need I, both. I buy a lot of gear and <laughs> I got are, a lot of stuff that I don't use anymore. You, you, you are kind of a gear junkie, aren't you? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a, I could have saved a lot of money yeah. if I had, you know, that resource back when I first started, you know? So, so knowledge, knowledge, I think, uh, I think you nailed it, man. Uh, I, I think that is a, if, if I were listing out my top three, uh, I think knowledge would be the number one. And I, I agree with your assessment on that. Like the Eastman's meal deer course. Um, I think if somebody that's never been, in the West on a, on a mountain pursuing mule deer, if they took the course and they retained 10% of the information in that course, they would be way ahead of hunters that have been doing it for like five or six years. And, and so you don't have to retain everything. You just have to retain enough to be successful. And so, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's great. man. So knowledge is one. Yeah. Diversifying the knowledge, right? Don't Mm -hmm. just, you know, you listen to one podcast, one guy, Robbie Denning. I mean, Dude knows mule deer like no other, but you know, I, I listen to him. I also listen to Brady Miller and Brian Barney and, you know, all these guys, Brian Lampers, like they all have different outlooks on how you hunt them. I mean, they got similarities, but they also have their own unique things that you're like, Oh, I'm going to hang on to that one. Oh, I'm going to hang, you know, Scott Reeker, Todd Helms, like all these guys, they just damp a car. Like I could just go on, but the, the they all have their own uniqueness to them that, might fit your style. So don't just get sucked into one person's opinion. And I should have probably caveated that. This is the world according to Rogers. So this is not gospel, but <laughs> diversifying your knowledge and, and getting it from multiple different sources is always a, a good, good option. And so, and I, I really like your theory that if they do choose just one podcast to listen to, it, it's the Western Huntsman, right? That's what you texted earlier to? Yeah, that, uh, yeah I'm pretty sure that's what pretty I said. Pretty sure you sent me a letter saying yeah. that, something? 
<laughs> Notarized letter. <laughs> okay, so yeah. so knowledge being one, uh, what what would you say uh, number two would be? Proficiency with your weapon. Um, and that's probably going to go against the grain on some people. Most people are probably going to say fitness. You know, uh, I am not in the best shape. I'm not out of shape, but I'm not in shape, if that makes any sense. No, but that makes perfect sense to me, man. Proficiency Actually, with the you. weapon system, it's, I could get up and down the mountain. My hunting buddy, Chris Young, he is going to beat me up there. 10 out of 10 times. Mm-hmm. But when I get to the top of that thing, my bullet can fly a lot faster than his legs can. So I'll shoot something out from underneath him because I can shoot further than he can. Yeah. But it's it, it, it comes down to that. A lot of, I would say the majority of my success is because of my proficiency with my weapons. And whether that's archery or rifle, um, I, I think a lot of guys uh, kind of, back themselves into a corner when it comes to their capable effective range. Yeah, sure. Uh, sure. Mostly mostly with but with archery too, you know, guys are like, ah oh, man, if it's if it's over forty with a bow, now I'm just not gonna shoot at it. I Jim, I don't know. I'd have to really think about the last time, besides elk, that I shot at something with a bow that was under forty yards. You know, most of the time, oh, the I older country, it, it happened to me this yeah. week, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> different situation, but no, I, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think that that's going to be super dependent on uh, geographically where you're hunting 100%, uh, yep. and, and it's going to be dependent on whether or not you're calling in a screaming rutted up bull elk or if you're hunting deer or you know there's because I, yeah. I i couldn't agree more man i that's actually one of my goals for this year and it's going to feed into some of the questions the listeners sent in for you tonight uh is is going to be this weapons prof- proficiency but my goal this year is is to be comfortable going from because right now uh i i generally won't shoot anything over 50 yards and i want to push that to like 75 uh, and I think I think that with the equipment that we have today, uh, I don't think that that's out of line. I really don't. No, uh, and 100%. so, you know, yeah. we, and we all know. I, I know there's there's going to be yeah. some of those old old school folks that are going to, you know, gripe about me saying that. But I I just want to get. I had a couple of great elk opportunities this year. Uh, where I did everything right in terms of calling or locating an elk and calling an elk in and getting them close and and all this kind of stuff, playing the wind right. But he was just out of my my uh, my comfort range of fifty yards. You know, maybe I had one that was like yeah. sixty three yards. And and Roger, I almost I almost I almost pulled the trigger on on uh, on that um, on my release. Uh, but I I just I don't know something was nagging at me. And what's funny is the next yeah. time I took a shot, I deflected a dang arrow off this teeny little branch and ruined uh, the shot anyway. Yeah. Anyway, beside the point. So. Um, I love that answer. And I think that honestly, oh, oh go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, it, it depends geographically, right? Because up there in Northern Idaho, it, you know, you're really compact areas, timber, like you're not down here where I hunt, like it's easily, you're able to shoot a thousand yards in most cases just mm-hmm. because of the topography. But up there, it's different. So the proficiency with a weapon for 
you know, for someone like you, it's going to be different than, you know, it might not necessarily be, you know, see if you could get down prone within 15 seconds, dial elevation on your scope and, and send around in, in 15 seconds. Like, yeah, it might be, you know, carrying your rifle on your side and how quickly you're able to get that rifle shouldered off of safety, acquire a target and be able to press off an accurate shot because that might be more important to you, you know, hunting that thick timber country than being able to shoot six, seven, 800 yards. Yeah. So it's totally, I'm glad you brought that up because that's, that was something I wanted to make mention. Well, and uh, you know, for, for a guy like me, we, it is very, very rare in, in North Idaho to be in a scenario where you're going to be shooting 700 yards. Uh, it, it's just, yeah. it, it's right now. I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not saying nothing I say on this show, folks, by the way, means that I mean that as some literal thing that is true a hundred percent of the time. So there's no uh, absolutes. There's no happens. absolutes. I know up in unit one that yes, you can get thousand yard shots. I'm well aware I've hunted yeah. up there too. So I don't, I don't need the reminder. I am talking just generally, uh, generally speaking, uh, you're, you, where I'm at are, are, are going to be, you know, maybe four, maybe 500 yards at the most. However, yeah. that said, I want to be proficient because I want to go to Southern Idaho and hunt mule deer. Or what if I want to go to Wyoming and hunt mule deer? Uh, you know, yeah. what if I want to go to Arizona? Yeah. You know, all these, these, these other Western States where these, these long ranges are, are total reality. So I'm digging yeah. this, man. And, and so, if, you know, if you set yourself up to shoot eight, nine, a thousand, then those four or 500 yard shots just seem like just chip shots, Cake, right? That yeah. They're yeah. gimmies. So that's, yeah. Same with, you know, you shooting, you want to up your range with your archery equipment this year. You know, if you're shooting at 75, 80 yards practicing and you get something at 50 or 63 next year, you're going to be like, Oh man, I got this one. Yep. You know, so it's, yep. Uh, just because I shoot at these kind of what would seem to some people as absurd distances, doesn't mean I'm going to take a shot at a living animal all the time at that. But I, my weapon system, I make sure has the capabilities of that along with myself as a shooter that if something happens and if I had to get another round in a wounded animal or something, I would have the ability to do that efficiently yeah. and accurately. I dig it, man. So we got, we've got knowledge on what you're hunting uh, in terms of species and all that kind of other stuff. Uh, proficiency with your weapon. Do you have a number three or? Uh, yeah, I would, I would say probably fitness on top of that. Um, either gosh, fitness or just being prepared to spend some money on gear and don't skimp. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big buy once, cry once kind of a guy after yeah. years of, eh, I could get by with this cheaper stuff. So it's, well, I mean, have you ever just yeah. bought a roll of duct tape and called it good, man? I mean, what are you talking about? I, dude, I've, <laughs> yeah, I've Jimmy rigged some stuff in my day, but it's, mm-hmm. you, you don't, you don't appreciate good gear a lot of the times unless you've suffered through some bad gear. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, true. you buy a, you buy a crappy pair of boots, you know, you throw a pair of Hoffman's or Krispies or Samberlin's on and you're going to be like, wow. Yep. I, uh, you know, you suffered through that hunting season with sore feet or whatever, and you didn't have, if you were to just, you know, spend an extra hundred bucks, you know, so 
and planning for that, mm-hmm. I think, is key because I think that that's what, you know, yeah. most people are cheapskates like me. And so you get up to hunting season, it's all of a sudden like, you know, for, I'll use your Hoffman ex- example, almost $400 for a pair of boots. And like, you know, back in the day, my wife would have killed me if I spent that kind of money. But if I would have planned yeah. for it and bought them in April, then they're yeah. ready to go in the fall, right? I, I mean, that's yeah. it's and the planning. Breaking them in and making sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So plan for it, uh, you know. A lot of new hunters are younger, you know, twenties don't have a, a ton of expendable income. Uh, that that planning is going to be be uh, huge. So, well, cool, man. You know, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. If you had another thought, oh, I was just going to say a lot. A lot of those things, right? You can look at them as investments. They're mm-hmm. multi-season investments instead of, you know, I used to buy a new pair of boots pretty much every hunting season because I would wear them out or the soles would come apart or something would happen to them that I wouldn't be able to get multiple seasons out of them. So it's like, all right, you're going to spend, you know, 150 bucks a season on a pair of boots, or are you going to spend $400 on a pair of boots and have them for four or five seasons and be able to resole them and get, you know, so much more life out of them. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. <laughs> Just especially boots. Don't skimp on your boots. Yes. Uh, so we do have we do have some uh, some gear questions coming up. You ready to go into some questions? I see you. You Let's actually you got some questions too, huh? Yeah, I sent. Uh, I think I sent them over to you. Okay, I'll pull those up in just a sec here. All right. So uh, again, how this works, guys, uh, for for the listeners out there is is uh, when when I'm doing an expert guest such as Roger here. I'm going to post the day of recording uh, to go ahead and send your questions in. And the reason I do that, because if I did it like two or three days before, you know, so many people would see it and then that post would get lost. So we, I try to do it when it's all fresh in everybody's mind. Um, I wasn't totally sure about saying last names. And so I just kind of am doing abbreviations for the last name. I can never, I, I, I can never make up my mind with that. If it's okay to do that or not, you know, without permission or whatever. So uh, just to be safe. Well, you're you're in law enforcement. Am I going to get arrested if I say people's last name? No, no, that's all public information. <laughs> okay, that's, that's true. See, you heard yeah. it. You heard it, folks. Uh, let's see. Questions. All right, pulled them up. This one is from Tony V. Uh, love your show, man. I'm mainly a diehard bow hunter, and know that I don't have a lot of confidence with a rifle. I'm applying for a rifle elk hunt next year. Any advice for transferring archery skills to rifle? I thought that was a pretty good question for you. Yeah, that is a good one. Um, Cause I, I was like that for a long time. I mainly did archery and didn't really get into a, a whole lot of rifle stuff. Um, I guess initially until the last six or seven years, but it's all, it's all very similar. You know, the, trigger control, the breathing control, uh, just your, uh, I'll caveat that if you could have bad habits shooting a bow, I did. I had some of the worst target panic imaginable. And then you're also able to transfer that target panic over into rifle or pistol shooting. And so if you got bad habits with archery, try to get those fixed and that'll also carry over to rifles. So like being able to, be comfortable with the wobble zone because um, it's usually magnified when you're looking through an optic. And so you're like, holy cash, crap, I'm, I'm wobbling all over the place because mm-hmm. you can see it. And so this is another reason I like to tell people to kind of 
tone down the power on their scope. You don't have to shoot a deer at 400 yards at 25 power. You know, zip that sucker down to 10, and you're going to see less wobble, which is going to cause less anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, training, you know, I, I'm looking at it right now. I was doing some before we started. Is um, there's several different indoor dry fire training systems. It, um, a lot of them have like a lens that goes on the ocular or uh, objective lens on the rifle scope then it lets you focus your parallax down to like 12 feet is what mine is um it's from dts precision or uh dst precision is that the one you talked about last yeah. time this last summer when we, we, we hit yeah the- yeah the the dfat system and so you're able to get so many trigger presses and so many reps doing you know build and break positional shooting or different things running your gun without the flinch and the recoil and the expenditure because we all know how expensive ammunition is i'd love to tell you to buy six seven eight hundred rounds of ammunition and go out and shoot it before the season starts but that's not practical for a lot of people but you could sit in your garage at night and get a hundred presses up on a trigger and be able to see you know these targets are scaled to where they're life size scale i got one I'll have to send you a picture of it, but it's it's got deer, elk, antelope, um, I think moose, caribou, maybe a bear. I can't remember. I don't think it's a bear on there, but they're scaled to certain distances because uh, you know it, an average sized deer will look you know this big, whether it's you know through a scope, you know three MOA or whatever at a certain yardage, and so they scale them on this picture. So you're looking at this picture. It's on an eight by eleven sheet of paper, and it looks like there's all these little miniature animals on there. But when you look at them through a scope, you're able to see, okay, in this position I'm building, what's my wobble zone? Am I able to keep those crosshairs within my acceptable hit range, you know, uh, circumference, whatever, within that animal from this position? Okay, no, I'm not. All right, build my position differently to where I'm comfortable doing it. That. And then that way you know, okay, at certain yardages, I won't be steady enough to shoot at X amount of yards. I'll have to get seated, you know, whatever. And so yeah, you don't try it right off the bat. It's not like, oh, there's a deer at 800 yards. I'm going to try standing off a tripod. It's doable. But if you've never tried it and you waste all that time trying to get set up standing, you're like, well, I'm all over the place. And then have to break your position down and try to get seated or, you know, even prone when automatically, you know, I'm not able to get that steady. I can get lower and steadier. So just, there's so much and it's cheap. It's 150 bucks, I think Mm -hmm. for the setup. And it is is, like a box and a half of ammo nowadays. Yeah. I mean, mean, legit. And you're going to Biden's America. You're going to, you're going to waste that, you know, and, I love spending money on ammo or reloading stuff, but you're going to save yourself so much money getting these systems and just practicing with them. Yeah. Because just this year with my dad's bear, uh, my bear, his deer, my bucks, both of them, like there are all really quick situations where I practiced how quick and how steady I could get in those you know, we're not sitting there and we got 10 minutes to build a 
perfect shooting platform and bring a bunch of backpacks over. Like these are hasty positions that you got to get into right now. And without the practice of doing those, you're just not going to be as efficient. And as these are the times when you could say, okay, my body position's off. I got to make sure I score up to the rifle or, or, and whatnot. So, yeah. Um, Man, I forget where that question was going. I just kind of want to find out. Basically transferring, you know, he it sounds like he's he's confident with a bow, uh, but he's not super confident with a rifle, and he's going to go on a yeah. rifle elk hunt next year and just kind of – and I think, okay. I think you actually nailed it. Um, yeah. You know, the bad habits, like you were talking about, if you get, for example, t- uh, target panic with a, uh, with a bow, you're going to get it with a rifle. If you don't get over that oh. prior to either switching or prior to that season yeah. opening and, and what – uh, what, what Roger's explaining is the training is what's going to make a difference. You can't, you can't get, let's say you go out and buy a new rifle in August and your hunt starts in October and you go to the range three times, you're not going to be super confident and you're probably going to miss unless it's a real easy shot. You really do have to put in the time. Uh, and, and that system, that DTS system, is that what it's called? DTS? Um, I, so I, DST, DST. Vision, but it's called a D, DFAS. If you Googled like DFAS, it's the, yeah, I did. I dry fire. Um, gosh, I forget what DFAS stands for, uh, I, but there's one that's remember. called the IDTS, uh, indoor dry fire training system. Um, I actually there's, have there's it all saved. You just Google it. Yeah. I have it all saved, uh, from last time we talked cause I was going to order it and, um, it's just it doesn't make sense to order it just yet until I have the house built. So, because uh, I've got yeah, I've got yeah, I'm going to have a perfect spot for that. So anyway, uh, all right. Next question. Yeah. This comes from Brett W. Um, hey Jim, friend of mine sent me your School of September series to listen to like two years ago. Been hooked ever since. Hey, thanks, brother Brett. By the way, School of September. We're going to start that off in a couple months here. All right, so his go. his question is, how realistic is it for a guy from Tennessee who has only hunted whitetail and ducks to make a solo trip to Idaho to hunt elk? This would be a rifle hunt I'm comfortable to 300 yards and have never been to, I'd, I'd, oh, Idaho. You, you spelled that wrong, Brett. Do I even have a <laughs> shot at seeing an elk? <laughs> Sorry, it's hard for me to read that. So I, I need, I don't want, yeah. I don't, I don't want you to ever share this information, Roger. But I'm pretty sure I'm to the point where I need reader glasses. So um, sure. it's really frustrating, man. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a terrible reader, so I'm glad you didn't have me reading this. <laughs> so basically, uh, is it realistic for a guy from Tennessee who's only hunted whitetail and ducks to make a trip to Idaho? Oh, solo even uh, for a rifle yeah. hunt. Um, and do I even have a shot at seeing an elk? I, why don't you take that one first? I'd like to answer that one too. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to hear your take on it because I've, uh, I, I did it this year. I went out archery solo. Um, and that was super daunting. Like, cause I killed my first elk a couple of years ago. So I still remember the sheer size of those animals and how hard it was with two people to cut it up and pack it out. And so just thinking about it solo was it's, it was weighing on me every day. I like, that was a legit thought in my head every day. Yeah. So, but it's doable, but you got to really understand what you're doing because I don't want you to shoot an elk and then walk up to it and go, 
oh my gosh, I've never done the gutless method. How do I get this off of the mountain? You know, I've never mm-hmm. boned out an animal. How do I lighten this load so I can get it off? Because you you run a real good chance, depending on where you go, of hurting yourself or wasting that animal because you're not able to get it out or you try to get it out too fast and hurt yourself on the, in the process. Yeah. But you know, the 300-yard effective range for the rifle can easily be extended um, you know, with the training, the dry fire training systems, the setting up your rifle in a certain way that would make it easier to shoot the, at those longer distances. Cause nowadays, we got good bullets, we got good cartridges, we got good weapon systems, we got good optics that are more than capable. The I guess the limitations to a lot of these systems nowadays is the shooter. Yeah. And so if you make it work on themselves and getting that proficiency up, the bullets, the weapon systems, everything's capable of hundred percent capable of further stuff, and especially with Absolutely. range finders and everything and all the apps that have, you know, Hornady Ford off, like you can get that on your phone for free in an app and it's stupid accurate. So there's, it's not, 20 years ago when we didn't have range finders and it was like, how far is that? There look to you, Jim. I don't know, <laughs> about 300 yards. Cool. I'm holding the hair. But, you know, like that's why a lot of these people have those limitations on 300 yards because they can take their seven rim mag, zero it for an inch and a half high at a hundred and you're holding the hair up to three. Like, yeah. and so that's, I think that's where a lot of these people put these limitations on themselves and they're, platforms just because of that but it's doable i would uh i would make sure like we talked about do the school september do your research because if you do i just don't want them to not be prepared especially like you're going to need certain size ice chests to get all that stuff back to tennessee how you're going to transport the meat like there's a lot of logistical things that he has to do um personally i'd like to see a guy for their first kind of western backcountry type of a hunt come out and do a spring bear yeah get a you don't have to, it's not a terrible idea yeah 100 percent. you you're you're practicing all the same stuff as far as the woodsmanship skills and everything like that you don't necessarily because the state of idaho doesn't require it you don't have to take the bear meat back although i really hope people do because it's absolutely the delicious meat yeah. out there so yeah highly recommend um, Yes, five so, star, and it's cheaper, right? If they, mm-hmm. especially if they get one of the reduced tags, um, it comes out to be like two hundred and thirty bucks for the the license, the non-resident license, and the reduced bear tag. Yeah, and you're backcountry hunting in May, June. You know, beautiful time of the year, and it's just a great way to get your feet wet for that type of a, a western hunting, and it, and you're not having to deal with the logistical stuff that comes with such a big creature like an elk and you could do a solo bear hunt very easily like yeah. a solo deer hunt it's a lot easier to do those because of the size of the animal than a solo elk you know you run into and jim you're way more knowledgeable with this so i'll let you talk about it but the it's so much harder to call elk solo it's so much harder to do those types of things so uh, but I'll let you take it from here. I talked enough. 
Man, I like mule deer hunting. It's almost time, too. I look forward to mule deer hunting every single year. It's what I grew up on. That is not to say that I'm great at it. But now, there's some really good resources available. And my favorite one is over at Eastman's Hunting Journals, where they have the mule deer course. This course has all sorts of digital information for you to go through as an e-course. It's got the basic safety, training and preparation, choosing a hunt, making a hunt plan, gear, scouting, glassing, field judging, rifle hunting, bow hunting, hunt strategy, harvest, the experience. All of it is right there in one spot for you to access and learn from some of the best like Dan Picard and Brian Barney. So up your mule deer hunting game by going to taghub.eastmans.com forward slash courses forward slash online mule deer course. You know what? Just look up Eastman's Hunting Journals and you'll find it. It's super easy. Let them know I sent you. You won't regret it. Yeah, no, I'd like to for sure answer that, Brett. Um, is it first of all? I, I'm going to break this question down just a little bit. Is it realistic for a guy from Tennessee who's only hunted whitetail and ducks to make a solo trip to Idaho and hunt elk? Obviously, yes, it's realistic. So I don't know. I don't know, Brett, if you've already got a tag or not. But the, you know, most of the tags are sold out at this point. But I think there's there's still a handful yeah. left here and there. Uh, so yes, is it realistic? Absolutely, man. Um, it, it is, it is as daunting as Roger discussed, however, because I think that what happens, what I've found, because when I'm, when I'm hunting in Idaho, this is my home state. You know, I camp here. I work here. I live here. I'm in the woods all the time. I go fishing all over the place. I hunt the whole thing. Yeah. You know, the, the way I could read the state and, and the rate, way I could read it like a topo map, for example, is going to be way different than the way you're going to read it from Tennessee. Maybe if you've never been here, which I think he says he's never been to like out West or to Idaho or whatever. Yeah. So, so Brett, what I'm saying is that would be the same situation as me trying to read the topography of, of Tennessee. It's going to look a lot different when I get there. Versus like you reading it because you live there, you kind of know how to read it a little bit better. It's the same kind of thing. So it's not that it's not doable or it's not realistic. You can absolutely do it. Do you want to pack into the backcountry and shoot an elk 10 miles back uh, by yourself? No, man, you're, you're going to ruin me. Um, the uh, comfortable to 300 yards. I Yeah, I, I like what Roger said on that. Do I even have a shot at seeing an elk? Um so that's up to you, man. Uh, Roger, we were, he mentioned calling in elk. Uh, you do need to be good at calling elk if you're hunting in September. If you're hunting a rifle hunt, yeah, probably not as big of a deal. Uh, just learn no, how to, you know, cow call and whatnot. Um, but there's a couple of really good resources. Roger mentioned our, our September school of September. Actually, he mentioned it. Uh, he's the one that gave school of September a shout oh, yeah. out. Yeah. So, uh, listen to that. Listen to that. Uh, my buddies, uh, John Gabriel and Dan Staten over there, uh, created an online course similar to the Eastman's Mule Deer course we were talking about. And it's called the Elk Collective. Uh, and if you use my promo code, it's like 69 bucks and that gives you access to over 150 videos of how to hunt elk. And so absolutely it's realistic. You just got to be realistic with what your expectations are and understand that it is really tough and it's really different than what Onyx looks like when you're, you know, e-scouting from, from the East coast or, or back East or whatever. Uh, that yeah. would be my recommendation, yeah, yeah. but I would never. Yeah. Can I. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to kind of 
reiterate that. Um, being newer here to Idaho, I still get into some of this country where I'm like, holy cow, this looks a lot different than it did you know, oh, on Google Earth. Um, and, and you just don't get the sheer magnitude. I mean, if somebody like sees lampers and calls videos of them going into some of this country, um, you know, or like people going into the Frank church and hunting that and they're like, Oh man, I don't want to do that. And then the first time you step foot in the Frank church wilderness and you go, Oh my gosh, it's it, all bigger. I, just, <laughs> I, I see. Yeah. You could a hundred percent guarantee that whatever you're looking at. And, and if you look at it on Google earth, you go, man, that's pretty steep. It's going to be way steeper when you get in person. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, resources like, um, Mark Livesey's e-scouting course, um, I'm a subscriber to that, or I guess a member, or however you want to call it. That's a that's a huge, huge um, bonus on that one. But the, oh, yeah, that's a good one, man. I forgot about I, that. It's just don't don't yeah don't bite off more than you can chew. I just tell people that because you will absolutely ruin your experience coming out west if you come out here and have a miserable experience because you you know weren't prepared properly or you didn't have like you said realistic expectations. Um, and I forgot he didn't say in that, um, what his rifle was or what his cartridge was or setup. So, no. um, part of, part of my answer to that was, um, I guess, assuming that he had a weapon system that was carrying enough velocity and energy at those different distances. But I don't know, Tennessee, he might have a 30, 30, you know, open sights. Like, so. Hey, now I've know, got one of those weapons. Hey, I wish I had one of those. I've been looking to get something like that for a long time. And I just never have. But so I, I can I can I geek out on that for just a minute? I, I those do it, please. Those lever action, um, the 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 model ninety fours. I I love this mm. rifle. I mean, I mean, I I love these. When I say I love these rifles, if it were legal, I would marry this rifle. Okay, <laughs> I, I I love it. It's so, twenty twenty two, Jim. That's true. How do, how do you identify? I mean, you know, yes. there's a lot of different ways to, to approach this. So, yes. no, um, I, I, I do, man. I, I love this rifle. But uh, what happened was my my grandma passed away this last summer. And yeah. through through the, uh, you know, she she's lived in the same house. You know, she was 96 years old, been there forever. The point is, so that family's going through getting rid of stuff that, that's been in the house forever. And finds my grandpa's old um, hunting rifle, who he passed away, you know, 20 years ago. And I was able to take this rifle, and I got this rifle. And it is a uh, Model 94 Winchester 3030. And it was one of the first, uh, no, not the first. It, it What year? Now I'm drawing a blank. I want to say it was manufactured around 1918. Uh, be based on, you know, the serial numbers, you can take the serial numbers and do a little homework and determine, and I, Mm -hmm. I, I'm a dork when it comes to like antique weapons and stuff like that. So (laughs) I determined this rifle is over a hundred years old and I shot it and I actually shot a, uh, well, I'm not going to say what I shot with it, but, uh, it took, it took down some wild game this year, which was quite awesome. Um, awesome. with my grandpa's gun and this thing, I, I mean, I just, I just had to throw that out there. I, I love it. I, I should send you a picture of it. It's super cool. It, it needed a good cleaning. 
Uh, but it shoots. Please do. I, I really like those rifles. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm getting man. So I've got. It's just a great family heirloom. I'll never get rid of it. So uh, it's it's a great gun. So anyway, let's let's go on to the next question. I'll yeah. send you a picture, man. Um, yeah. Mike P. This was my first year hunting. Can you and Roger explain shooting at angles such as up or down? Question mark. Okay, such as up or down. I shot over a deer this year that was below me, and I don't understand what happened. I, so I'm 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 assuming he took a shot on a on a deer that was uh, you know down down the down the mountain or whatever, uh, and and missed somehow. I'll let you take that one. Um, and it's that trigonometry thing to you know your line of sight versus the actual distance that gravity is having an effect on the bullet. Um, so with archery or rifle stuff, it's all similar as far as um, you have to take a cosine of the yardage. And so, and it's never going to be, so if you, if your rangefinder doesn't account for it, um, and even a lot of the times with a lot of the, the rangefinders, they're, they're not exactly a hundred percent accurate on their cosine, but it's close enough that depending on how steep the angle was and how far it was, he uh, he shouldn't have missed that bad, um, but you're yeah, always going to be. Help if we it would help if we knew how steep it was and what the what the yardage was. Yeah, that's 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 always hard to kind of speculate um, because that's there's there's not a whole lot of places. Everybody, it's you're you're going to run into a lot more of it with archery stuff. It's shooting out of a tree stand or shooting in a lot of these um, higher angled stuff through through tree stands. But there's – so my buck in October was at a 14-degree downhill, um, and uh, that was 440 yards. So let's just do the – do the uh, – let's calculate real quick. So uh, 440 yards – I was six, uh, six and a half minutes, so almost 1.9 mils of elevation um, calculated with that, that angle. Um, so without that angle, just at zero, I would have been at seven minutes. So half a minute difference at 440 yards, a quarter of a mile, um, is not that much. Yeah. That's two and a half inches, two inches. So you're not missing over. And that's, and I was on a pretty, that was a pretty good downhill. Um, and that's, that was 14 degrees measured with my rangefinder. Mm-hmm. Um, usually when I'm rifle hunting my rangefinder, I have it set to give me the line of sight distance and the angle cosine so I could put that into my my ballistic calculator and it's a little bit more accurate doing it that way than the true horizontal distance or arc or whatever your rangefinder calls it um, but it's uh, it, it's like I said depending on how steep his angle was 14 degrees 20 degrees uh, that's that's not uh, that's not uncommon to get mm-hmm especially in Idaho, but it's not also going to throw 
throw your shot off too much. So if it was 20 degrees, it would have been about 27 inches of elevation correction. If it was zero degrees, it would have been 32. So that's five inches difference at a quarter of a mile with obviously with my rifle set up, but you know, you're still hitting the deer. You're not missing a deer with a five inch difference. That's most people's wobble zone, you know? Yeah, so you're still, you're still in um, there. So you saying you think yeah. more, more or less that sounds like it, it, that would be kind of more of a, uh, user error kind of thing. Maybe, maybe the shot wasn't as good. And, um, as, as it, it, you know, know, not, not yeah. to, th- it, it's, Right, and I don't know the guy. Yeah, I I would have to have some more questions to really kind of dive into this. You know, wondering, I would wonder how long or how often he shoots. Does he practice on shooting? um, You know, different angles. Did he get? Did he verify his data? You know, a lot of guys will take zero their rifle at a hundred, but because they don't have an accurate system to measure, you know, whether it's a magneto speed, lab radar, or a good chronograph, the actual muzzle velocity. So they'll take. And oh, it says you know it should be at twenty nine hundred feet per second on the box of ammo. So they zero, they put that in their their ballistic calculator and print a sheet out and slap it on the side of their rifle and call it gospel when they've never actually shot at those distances that they have the data for and to see if it's on because I guarantee you it's not going to be. I've never taken that data and first round impacts. I shouldn't say never. Hornady Ford off is really really accurate because it's not a prediction it's not a guess they actually track the path of thousands of these bullets shot at these velocities and they have the ballistic curve built in it's not a cosine of a theoretical curve kind of thing yeah yeah but that's that's just geeking out there but i would, I would yeah i was gonna I say know what his what his shooting platform was was he off of a tripod was he off of his knee was he prone what you know because you could get into like i said a lot of that wobble zone where you know your crosshairs are coming on and off the buck and you're trying to time it and then you match that trigger when you think it's going to be there and sent one and i don't want to throw my dad under the bus but he he missed his first shot on his buck this year i had it ranged at 300 yards gave him the data and he missed over the top of this buck by, I got the video, and he probably, I don't know, five, six, ten inches above the buck, clean miss. And it went just a little ways. And I told him, I'll oh, dial to 250 instead of 300. And he just absolutely squared this buck. But yeah. just the data difference of 250 and 300 isn't a whole lot. And it isn't enough to have made that much of a difference. So I think he just airmailed that first shot. But, yeah, yeah. Because uh, well, yeah, there's I, not a whole lot of. Yeah, I think with this question, there's Good. there's so many variables. We, like, there's no way to yeah. answer this, really. Honestly, there's I, I don't know that we can answer it just because. Um, yeah. there's there's so many variables and and for those of you listening too, by the way, uh, on some of this more technical stuff that Roger's talking about, don't worry, you're not alone. I have no idea what some of that means either. <laughs> um, okay, next question, Daryl G. Um, okay. Zoom it in a little bit so I can read it. Hey, Jim, it'd be cool if you read this on the podcast. Hey, well, 
Daryl, your dreams are coming true, brother. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Love your show, especially when you drink whiskey and get irritated, LOL. Oh, thanks. You had to throw that in there, man. That only happens every once in a while. Um, okay, question is, I live in Dallas, Texas. What would you guys recommend for me to get my shooting up to snuff for the mountains since where I lice, well, I'm assuming it's meaning where I live, where I live is super flat. Okay, so let me reread that since I have more clarity. I live in Dallas, Texas. What would you guys recommend for me to get my shooting up to snuff for the mountains since where I live is super flat? Um, yeah, that's definitely a Roger question, man. What What do you say to that? Um, practice positional shooting. It's very easy to go to the range all the time and either shoot off a bench or shoot off your belly and prone. Um, and this kind of goes back to that other guy's question too, is when he zeroed his rifle, was he prone? Was he, you know, seated? There's, um, if you, um, there's a good podcast. It's called, uh, well, there's a bunch of good podcasts, um, but it's called the straight dope podcast with Chris. Oh Wade. yeah. I started um, listening to that after you and I talked. Yeah, last time. It, it, it is a good he, one. He geeks out on that stuff and I love it. That modern day sniper, um, just F and send it. There's a lot of good kind of more PRS driven, uh, precision rifle network or, uh, mm-hmm. precision rifle shooting stuff. But it's a, a good because they talk about positional shooting because they very rarely shoot off their belly, but the rifle craft, uh, if you go to riflecraft.com and that's craft with a K, um, you can get these targets that, um, he, and he calls it, I think it's craft challenge. I'm looking at some targets right now. Um, they have you shoot build and break. So one shot, break your position, get into another position, one shot. So you do standing, kneeling, seated, prone, each one shot from each of those positions, get back up and do it over again for a total of 12 shots total. So three shots from each position, but one shot in each position at a time. And it shows you on this target, like what your expected zero changes and zero shift. And you could track this on his website and you could see your progression as you do this more and more and you get better and better at it. You could see how tight your groups are getting because I guarantee you, you zero your rifle on your belly. And unless you have really good fundamentals that if you try to shoot seated or kneeling or standing, your zero is going to shift. It's going to be off because of the way that rifle recoils under uh, or uh, moves under recoil. And so shooting positionally, um, getting a good zero. And this goes back to the other guy's question is not getting a, yeah, I'm a, around the, the dot. I'm talking getting a good zero. Like I'm two tenths of an inch low and three tenths of an inch left. Yeah. And then putting that into your calculator, because that makes a difference. But having a good zero prone and then doing a lot of shooting in these different positions uh, will help because it's there are times that you can get prone in the mountains of Western or in Idaho or Wyoming or For Montana sure. or wherever. But there's also a lot of time, like my dad's bear. Uh, both of my bucks were off a tripod. My dad's buck was off the tripod. I couldn't have gotten prone in those areas. And so if I didn't have a tripod to shoot positionally, 
I could have tried it, right? I could have tried to build a hasty position and shot off of my knee or off a backpack or something, but yeah, you are never going to be as stable as clipped in to a tripod and just rock steady. Yeah. And so, you know, having a good tripod and not, you know, one of these ultra light things that could barely hold up a pair of binoculars because they're so skinny, like get something that you could shoot off of. I mean, you're saving yourself a world of hurt. You're, you have, you can glass off of it. You can shoot off of it and you're just going to be a lot more successful. So that's yeah. what I'd say. Shoot positionally and make sure your rifle is set up with um, a tripod able to shoot off of. Awesome. Uh, just a few questions left here between the one I've got and your, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm kind of keeping you. You okay on time, man? Oh dude. Yeah, I'm good. The wife and kid are asleep. So okay. I'm in the garage drinking a beer. And there you go. Doing nothing. There you go. Um, okay. So, uh, John T, um, would be awesome to hear back in episode tonight. Been listening for years. Trying to get right to the question here. Uh, Hey, you're welcome, John. I appreciate that comment, by the way. I didn't read that. Uh, It says, I love what you do and teach has helped out in my hunting. And, and, uh, that's awesome. Cool, John. Uh, what would be best or easier to use MOA or MRAD? For someone that wants to be able to have the option to shoot long range or close, uh, full disclosure, uh, Roger, I have no idea what he's talking about with those. So <laughs> also uh, where can someone start to learn to shoot long range? Well, we talked about that already. So uh, summarizing, what would be best or easier to use MOA or MRAD for someone that wants to be able to have the option to shoot long range or close? Okay. Does so, that make sense um, to you? Yeah. Okay, yep. good. Um, MOA is minute of angle, um, and MRAD, as it's called, or MILS, it's just another version of an angular measurement uh, that is used for shooting. Um, MOA I knew is, that. I knew that. I was just testing you. Yeah. yeah I, I know you did. <laughs> it, it, MOA is a finer adjustment, um, but you're also, you know, talking in quarter, half, three-quarter, one, you know, versus... MRAD, uh, mills, whatever you want to call it, is um, tenths. So um, roughly um, a tenth of a mill is like a third of an MOA kind of thing. So that's and don't quote me on. There's going to be some guys that blow me up for this, but roughly for somebody to be able to just visualize and look at it. So a tenth of a mill is generally what you get in an adjustment in a scope, and that is moving your reticle up or down or left or right um, a third of an inch at a hundred yards, as opposed to most MOA scopes are a quarter of an inch and MRADs are usually it's they're in meters or centimeters versus meters, but you don't have to do conversions anymore. Um, They're back in the military. They used to have MOA turrets and, mill dot reticles because they had the there's a bunch of ranging formulas as far as you know a known target size and how many mills it is divided by all these numbers and it gives you the distance and so they were able to then get their data to dial for distance we don't have to do all that so i would really say whatever they're comfortable with a lot of people would rather think um like i put on my data for that for that buck i actually had an moa scope on that rifle at the time 
And then between like the two weeks between that buck and my November buck had switched scopes to an MRAD scope. So I go back and forth all the time, but which is there one, is there one that you think is easier to learn? No, they're all, they're all the same mechanically the same. And most people aren't a good enough shooter to shoot the difference in those as far as like MOA being a finer adjustment. Most people aren't that good of a shot shot to, or shoot far enough to really have that come into play. Um, but it's remembering smaller numbers, um, because with like an MRAD scope, you know, say my data at say 500 yards is on this rifle is two and a half mils. Mm -hmm. So 2.5 versus in MOA. Let's see here. Did I say 500 yards? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be eight and three quarter. Gotcha. But like, so most people could, it's easy to remember or think about two and a half versus eight and three quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. there's, it, it just depends on how you do it. And a lot of it is to what your buddy shoots. You know, if your buddies, if you guys are sitting there talking or he's trying to talk in MOA, but your scope is in mills and you know, it comes into more so for windage. It's like, Hey, I think it's a 10 mile an hour wind. You know, hold, you know, seven tenths right. And they're going, well, shit, he's talking mills, so I got to do this conversion in my head real quick. Oh, shit, what, you know, yeah, so it's yeah. easier to talk back and forth in whatever. Like when I go out with, um, when I go out with Chris, his scope, everything's in MOA, regardless of what scope I have. I, I'm able to talk to him in MOA because I go back and forth so much. Um, but, you know, if you didn't, he, he couldn't talk to me in mills if I have my mill scope and I asked him for a, you know what his windage call was. I wouldn't be able to do that. So I try to talk to him in, in miles per hour for the wind. Uh, it's usually a better way uh, because then people can. And this is something that Chris Wayne gets into with his your gun number as far as windage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's I could geek out on that and go on for a while. But, so I just want to answer this guy's question, but it's. It's really, it's dependent. They're all the same. You know, your scopes nowadays, your reticle is going to be cut for the same thing that your turrets are nowadays. There used to be differences back. I actually have that scope. I shot that buck in November or uh, October. It's uh, mil dot reticle, MOA turrets. So I had to on the fly convert for windage and stuff, the difference of MOA and mills. And it could get confusing if people don't do it. But nowadays, every scope that I know of that's produced is all the same. Your windage and elevation turrets are all for either mills or MOA, and so is your reticle. So sweet. It really depends on what they want to talk back and forth to their buddy about, or can think about. Um. Okay. Thanks for the question, John. Uh, that that actually wraps it up for for my questions. But you had a couple that came in on yours. I just was able to pull up here. Uh. Okay. So pulled it up. Hunting ain't easy. Man, that's Mike, right? Uh, I forget his first name, yeah. but he's a California guy. Yeah, yeah. he He's a great dude. I need to get him back. He was on the show a couple of years ago. Mike, how you doing, brother? Oh, okay. Um, okay. So how much weight can I save with SA versus STD or Magnum Action? And then the kind of a follow-up question is 6.8 Western, the perfect caliber. So he's talking about the first part of that question is um, short action. So short action 
action, so short action rifle length versus a standard or magnum like action. So a standard would be like your 30 out six length, mm-hmm. uh, 300 wind mag, and then you can get into the magnum length actions or the the rum length actions, super long. So it sure. Certainly, I have more experience with long action, which is also known as standard length or short action, and you're only saving, say, if you just got a Remington 700 action, you're saving about three ounces between the two, which hmm. ain't much. I don't, yeah. I yeah. don't have super light weapon systems. The 6.5 PRC that I was carrying around in October and November was almost is like 12 and a half pounds. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty yeah. heavy, man. And so that's, that's I, like I like that. a heavy rifle. It's a heavy is dependable. <laughs> right? The heavy's dependable. Heavy's easy to shoot. Heavy doesn't recoil as much. Yeah. Like there's so many pros to a heavy, and I can lose weight somewhere else. And I'm not Brian Barney. I'm not, well, I was going to say uh, Brady Miller, but he carries a 14-pound rifle. So, But, you know, these guys that are going – counting every ounce and cutting their toothbrush in half. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not that kind of guy. I carry extra stuff. I carry extra weight, especially in, like, first aid stuff. But So I don't count my ounces like that. So um, that 6.5 PRC was actually on a Remington long action. It is now I rebuilt it back into a short action. But you're only saving a few ounces. Um, you're looking at, like, for Remington long action, it's like, 30, I want to say like 35, 36 ounces. Uh, but then you can get custom actions like the Defiance Anti-X action, which is a steel action. It's not titanium, but it's like, don't quote me on this, but it's like 24 ounces. So you're like saving 10 ounces on the same length of action, going to a custom action that they flute and they do all kinds of stuff to it to lighten it up. Yeah. Or titanium actions that are down there in the mid to low twenties, you know, low, low twenties, I think for some of the titanium actions, but you're spending a lot of money to save six to 10 ounces. You know, these guys will get super lightweight rifles and then throw a two and a half pound scope on it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, and that that there you could say your your argument with that is that it, it's not gonna it's not gonna justify the rifle the scope is too much for the rifle and in, in terms of distance and capability. Yeah, you know, there's you're gonna spend thousands of dollars to drop um, six to ten, you know, half a pound to a pound off of your rifle. Like, mm-hmm. you know, for people that are really trying to get that the lightest weight rifle you can, you're going to be spending thousands of dollars to lighten that when you could take that money. It's just probably the same guys that want a super lightweight rifle and you're going to spend all this money on it, but then they're going to still carry around a, you know, 15 degree synthetic sleeping bag that weighs three and a half, four pounds when they could buy a, a down bag. That's half of that. And you're going to lose right off the bat. You're going to spend 300 bucks yeah. and lose 40 ounces versus spend thousands of dollars and losing six. <laughs> and when it comes to when it, and that's why I carry a heavy rifle when it comes to that's when it comes down to the end of the hunt, like that is the only thing that has to work or I go home empty handed. Yeah. Right. Like, and so generally when you get into light, light stuff, 
you start losing the dependability because they're taking material out of places that wasn't necessarily designed to lose that material. So you start getting fragile. You start getting thinner walls on your scope tubes. Your turret systems are less robust. You're, you know, you start that it's a give and take. It's no free lunch. So you're going to lose, you got to lose something somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I'm not about losing have you ever, the weapon system. Have you ever weighed your pack? Yeah, yeah, I do, and I'm always eight to ten pounds heavier than Chris is. Really? You know, but I, I, I also, I don't think there's a hunt that I can remember that there wasn't something along the road where Chris is like, "Oh man, you know, this happened. Oh, here I got this, you know, to fix it or an extra something or you know whatever." But it's, I, I don't. I've never even weighed my pack, man. I don't think that. I think you get to a point sometimes when. Between hunting and my my days backpacking, and then I was in the Marine Infantry where you took everything on your back, you know, you get to a point where you know what's necessary and you know what's not necessary. And and you just you just go with that. And I've never weighed a pack, man. I like never have. Yeah, I've never even considered the times that I weigh my pack is when me and Chris are going in together. And we're sharing things, whether it's like we're sharing a tent and so or a stove. And so we're like, all right, we want to make sure we're both evenly heavy going in. So it's yeah. like, oh, hey, I'll take this and this. OK, then that way we're starting off the same. And it's not like, oh, I get stuck with a tent and he's got the stove and I'm, you know, eight pounds heavier than he's going. So we try to share the load. So that's why we weigh things out. But gotcha. Yeah, it's yeah, that makes sense. the same thing. I carry the necessary stuff to keep me safe and to be effective and wherever that lands, that lands, I build rifles to shoot and where they land in weight is where they land in weight. You know, mm-hmm. I, you can save weight in like, I got seven, eight ounce muzzle brakes. You could buy a titanium muzzle brake from salmon river solutions and cut six ounces right there. Sure. So if you're worried about saving six ounces, but you're trying to take like one of these quote short action magnums, like he's talking about like the six, eight Western it's technically could it be a short action magnum because of the cartridge overall length could technically fit in the short action, but it's not comfortable. You're limiting yourself on seating your bullets out long, you know, and heavier bullets to come. So if you're worried about saving a few ounces on the short action versus the long action, Get a long action and get a titanium muzzle brake. Yeah, and yeah. there you you're you're a money ahead there. So, uh, but yeah, the yeah. next part of his question is the six eight western. Um, yeah, is is the uh, six eight western the perfect caliber? Uh, so that's the two seventy uh, two seventy seven. Um, it's a it's a modern two seventy Winchester short mag. Um, yeah, but six point eight is is another. Uh, it's, you know, millimeters versus inches is kind of a thing. But okay. the uh, yeah, that's where that comes in. And they didn't want to call it because it's so close. Because Winchester came out with it and Browning, and it's so close to the two seventy WSM that they didn't want to call it the two seventy. You know, is yeah, yeah, a marketing thing. But Super anyway, good. I I like the cartridge. It's, you could think of it as a 270 PRC, very similar to the 6.5 PRC, 
um, and cartridge design and and whatnot, chamber designs. But in 270, um, playing off of the heavy for caliber 270 bullets that are coming out, the you know your 165s, 170, 175s, and probably more to come. Mm-hmm. But my problem with that cartridge right now is availability of bullets. There's a lot of because it. Oh man, tell me heavy about for it. caliber. Heavy for caliber 270 bullets are fairly new. Mm-hmm. Like 270 Winchester's been around forever, but because of the twist rate on that, it's really designed to shoot 130 to 150 grain bullets. So that's really what was ever developed for the 270 until fairly recently. And I just had a guy hit me up the other day, and he's like, "Dude, I cannot find you know these 165 Acubon long ranges anywhere." Yeah, you're probably not going to. So there's a very limited amount of these heavy for caliber, which is what you get that 6.8 Western for. You don't get a 6.8 Western to shoot 150 grain bullets. Yeah. You get it to shoot the 165s or 175s. And so um, I like the design. It's just there's not a whole lot of bullet selections to justify it for me right now uh, to ever really consider for myself as. Um, it's a good viable option just because of how much I shoot. I can't, you know, I shot this 6.5 PRC. I shot built and shoot 600 rounds just from June to October. And if I'm not able to source bullets and uh, brass and everything else for that, I wouldn't be able to do what I want. So I, I try to pick a cartridge that I could find reloading components or ammunition pretty readily yeah. available. Yeah. Um, and just right now, there's there's factory offerings out there for 6.8 Western. And for a, for a while, that's all you could see on the shelves because there was, wasn't a whole lot of people with guns with it, but there was a lot of ammo out there. Yeah. And I think that pendulum has since swung in the other direction where now you're not seeing that ammo on the shelf and more people have those rifles. So um, I, I do like the 277 um, caliber bullets. It's, kind of that sweet spot between a seven millimeter and a six, five. So it's, uh, I like it. I just don't know if it's quite there yet. I yeah. think in five years, you know, it, it'll either have caught on and there'll be a lot more bullet manufacturers. You know, I'm waiting for Hornady to come out with a 165 or 170, 175 grain, you know, ELDX or something. And it's just not there yet. So. Gotcha. You're uh you're, you're a few years away from that, I think. Well, let's wrap this up with the final question. I know I've got you, we're, we're an hour and a half into this so far. Um, and we'll kind of roll from there. I, uh, By the way, guys, th- thanks to everybody who submitted questions. I know I didn't get to all of them uh, that that, uh, that came in, but we're, we're trying. Um, you know, we'll get, but I, I feel like I, I what I did with the questions that came into me is I tried to select the ones that I felt like would have the most impact for the most amount of listeners. Uh, some people had really specific questions about, you know, certain things that uh, I, I would, you know, answer questions to them but not help anybody else kind of thing. Um, so if you have those questions and still want to get those answered, uh, definitely, uh, di- which, by the way, Roger, did you like how I wrote that? I learned the term slide into my DM. <laughs> I, I learned it. I learned it yesterday. 
And so when I posted, when I posted the thing to ask it, hey, send me a message or slide into my DMs, my wife's like, you're such a dork. You're such an idiot. Why would you use that phrase? You don't even know what that means. I'm like, what are you talking about? You told me yesterday. She's you're like, that dad that tries to be hip around the young yeah, yeah, kids. Exactly. Right? Like, exactly. Cause so now, so now every time my wife, she's been asking me questions today about this and that, you know, getting stuff ready. I'm like, you know what? Slide in my DMs later and I'll let you know what I, what I think. So now it's just driving her crazy that I learned this new phrase. Uh, now you have so, to keep on doing it. Oh, totally. Totally. I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. drive her nuts with it. So. Uh, <laughs> so, so anyways, uh, the last question here is how to choose the right scope of rifle. Oh, I was, I, I was going to say, if you have some of these more technical questions, Roger, is it okay if they slide into your DMS and ask you some of these Absolutely, more technical questions? Okay. I, I love answering these things. I geek out on it. My wife hates that sometimes when I'm. Oh, I could tell, man. People you're, back so much, but dude, I, you, I, you, I really enjoy it. You are light years ahead of me when it comes to technical rifle uh, and caliber kind of information and, and technologies and stuff. So uh, every dude like me has to have a buddy like you, man. <laughs> so how to choose the right scope, or, uh, scope for a rifle? Uh, that's... There's going to be a lot of varying things with that one and a lot of different opinions with that one. Um, I don't know. How would you answer that, Roger? Yeah, and like I said in the beginning, these are answers in the world according to Roger. My opinions only, right? Not yeah, nothing yeah. is gospel. Um, but it's uh, you know I, I would follow up. I would try to ask some follow up questions on something like that. Like what's you know what's your rifle capabilities? What what cartridge are you shooting? Yeah. What areas are you hunting? Um, you know what do you expect to do with this rifle? Because um, what's your the the way to answer that is so like are we talking about a thirty thirty lever action, right versus right. Uh, you know no. a six and a half Creedmoor or something? Yeah, either. there's so many different. Yeah. I guess I say I, that. I got a six, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, it's just I like I got a sixteen inch Ruger gunsight scout. It's the only factory rifle I have, and it's I'm not going to throw the same scope on that as I am on my six five PRC. I just don't. I don't yeah. have realistically. I don't have the same, um, I guess, expectations of that rifle as I do the other rifles and cartridges. So um, that's that's a big loaded question. And um, on backwoodspursuits dot uh, well, yeah, they, backwoodspursuits dot com or on their YouTube page, uh, me and Gabe went into like I think it's a three or four part series on scopes and kind of choosing those we go into the weeds that somebody wants a little bit more in depth but um i, I would choose the right scope that is what your expectations are for that rifle right like i'm a big fan of first focal plane scopes because the subtensions on the reticle are always going to be the same and i don't like shooting at full power on my magnification if I don't have to, but with a lot of second focal plane scopes or all second focal, most, I shouldn't say all, cause I'm sure there's some out there, but most second focal plane scopes are all, uh, their sub tensions in the reticle are calibrated for the maximum magnification. So that's your windage holes and things like that. And you can figure out where the half point is and your, magnification to make those subtensions exactly half of what they were at full power but that gets into a lot right 
right? But mm-hmm. I want to, if I say my wind hold is seven tenths of a mil at 500 yards, I don't want to be on 18 power shooting something at 500 yards because when you recoil, when your rifle recoils, you lose, you have more tendency, depending on your position, to lose the animal, your target in the recoil of the weapon system before you get back in. And so that's when you see these guys on all the shows that are, they, you know, they shoot and then they look over at their guy and they're like, did I hit him? Where'd it go? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, um, I, I really like Randy Newberg and what he does for the hunting community, but I just watched his, uh, his mountain goat hunt and, it's a great film if anybody wants to watch it. But he, uh, I want to say he missed this goat like six times. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was shooting at a really awkward position off of uh, some hasty stuff, I think off of his pack and off some sticks. Didn't have a tripod, which I wish he would have. That would have made that shot a lot easier. Um, but, you know, he, because of the angle, because of the position and the, that rifle recoil, he he didn't see where his impacts were. And so everybody's saying, hey, you're foot high and a foot right. And with being able to see that under recoil because you got your scope dialed down, you're able to make that second shot adjustment. You don't have to ask because you see where it hit. Yeah. And then you can just, because he hit the same spot like multiple times. So it wasn't like he threw one low, threw one high, threw, like he missed in the same general spot a bunch of times. So if he, you know, if he was like, all right, that first shot, that was a bad trigger press work on it this time, Allison's another one hits the same spot. Maybe something's off on his scope or just the way his rifle's recoiling. So Kentucky, when does that sucker come down to the left? And, you know, <laughs> but if you don't know how far off you are, it's hard to do. So I, I like first, first focal plane scopes for that. Generally the three to 18, uh, three to 15 kind of a power range, but it, it's, you know, if I'm hunting thick timber country up there in North Idaho, like, that's not the best scope for that. You sure, know, second focal sure. plane scope in the, you know, two and a half to 10 range mm-hmm. is probably best. Better on the low end. You know, your reticle being a second focal plane scope at that is going to be a thicker reticle. So it's going to be easier to see in those quick pop shot type of situations. So, you know, it's just, there's, uh, Dude, you there's a, a lot. You are a damn wizard, man. So. You're just a wizard at this stuff. Like I, 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 I no, some I of did, this I just is just a foreign language. It, I geek out. Yes. I absolutely geek out on it, dude. <laughs> I, I'm so like, I'm so like old fashioned or something. I'm not, not old fashioned. I don't think that's right. I think I'm such a simpleton. You know, I, I get a <laughs> rifle and throw a scope on it and I go out and I shoot it and I shoot it and I adjust it and I shoot it and I adjust it and I shoot it. I get, I shoot it so much that I, I'm pretty good with it, you know, but I have no idea but what some of the good, stuff though. you're talking about. Um, but that's Jim, that's, that, this I, is, I wish I had the discipline to have that kind of here. knowledge that you have though. I, I really do. I but just, this, I is, this is new stuff though, Jim. This is, this is, you know, it's not like this has been, you know, 15, 20 years. Like a lot of this stuff is, has been, we, there's been so many good advancements with, rifle scopes and everything yeah, has. just in the last, you know, five to 10 years that, yeah, well, I, I've been about, lucky that I have some buddies that geek out on this too. Then we just bounce ideas back and forth with each other. So, well, think about, uh, think about Roger, like 20 years ago, a term that you heard frequently it, when you're, when you're talking amongst hunters is Kentucky windage. 
You said it. Yeah. You said it tonight, uh, and I was thinking it earlier. Uh, I, I don't remember what you were talking about, and I, I, I just thought to myself, man, I'd probably just Kentucky windage it at that point, <laughs> you know. But yeah. that's not a term you hear very often anymore in comparison to back in the day when every like like during the '90s, everybody talked about how to you got to be good at Kentucky windage. You know, it was like a yeah. it was like a highly technical term back then. You know, and yeah. and now yeah. I think the necessity. Is is just not there with the technology and and the way, like you said, the way the the scopes have advanced. I mean, I bought a cheap loophole scope for um, my daughter's rifle, that little seven mm eight. And gosh, what was that? I don't like two hundred and fifty bucks, maybe, maybe. And it's a dang good scope, man. Like it's a freaking yeah. good scope for two hundred fifty bucks. Uh, it's just yeah. amazing. No, what, yeah. Yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm blown there, away, so. there used to be a thing where everybody would say, like, spend 500 or spend twice as much on the scope as you spent on the rifle. Like, that used to be a thing when everybody yeah. would talk People about people still say that. Rifles. Yeah, but that's that's old, that old dogma of, mm-hmm. you know, you had to spend at least $1,000 on a scope because those were the scopes that track. You know, when you're using those turrets, they would track appropriately and return to zero and they were reliable, you know, not just the cap turrets where you just set it once and left it. Yeah. And so you had to spend that kind of money to get that kind of reliability to do those things, but you don't necessarily have to do that as much anymore. And so there's, there's a lot more options out there that are quality options for that kind of stuff, but it's, there's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I was going to say too, on the, there's a good, the whole old school, new school to Kentucky winners versus the other stuff. Uh, uh-huh. Back to the to the Randy Newberg thing. So there's a great kind of a contrast between that. Like I said, I don't want this to sound like I'm poking at Randy because he's a just has done so much for the hunting community and I love the dude. But the difference between that and if you go on modern day snipers youtube page um kaylin wojcik goes on a, a hunt for well it's a coal hunt for um i believe it's uh, it's mount goats in the grand tetons if i remember right and he has a tripod set up he's a former marine sniper you know instructor at uh, gunworks like does his their own instructor like if you want to geek out on long range shooting and positional shooting and all that stuff, one of the best out there at that, but he shoots a goat at 700 plus yards. If I remember right off of a tripod, like, you know, wind and everything and hammers it versus, you know, Randy's six shots at sub 400 yards. But the difference is, is Kalen's, comfort behind the rifle, his training and experience and just the sheer different setup that he had in the rifle system and whatnot. Yeah. So, you know, they both ended up getting goats, but it's just a, it's a good video to watch because there's two different. And this is where it comes down to people's, what they want out of their rifle system and the world according to them, because there's no right or wrong way. It's just, what are you looking to do? Like I can get on this stuff. So some people just want to, zero their scope for 200 and and that's and that's fine man i love it go out there and hunt but um for people that are trying to stretch the limits of these things you know these 
these types of systems, those are two good videos to watch to kind of contrast both of those different hunting styles and shooting styles. Well, I love it, brother. We need to wrap this episode up. This has, been, this has been awesome. Um, so much information has come out of this and, and, uh, I just, uh, I, I always like having you on a show, Roger. It's always, it's always a good time. I always learn. It's always um, a pleasure. Yeah, no, it's, it's great, man. And don't ever cheat on me again and go on one of the other Eastman's podcasts because <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Congratulations, by the way, man. I never did like actually tell you over the phone. I know I sent you a text or a message about it, but congratulations with that, dude. That's huge. Oh, thanks, man. No, it's super exciting. I appreciate hearing that. So, um, yeah, I've been a big fan of Eastman's for a long time. So, but, uh, but let's do this again. I, I mean, as always, man, let's, I, I just, I kind of like having, I, I have a, like a handful of just revolving guests that are, that I just always like having on the show and you're one of them. So, uh, let's, let's plan on this again in the future and maybe, um, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to get you up here for a, for a bear baiting hunt and, uh, that, that'd be oh, a ball man, at some that. point. So we'll have to figure that yeah. out. So stick on the line for yeah, just maybe, a minute. We might have to hunt swap. You know, yeah. We can, we can definitely do that, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally, uh, totally game. So, uh, again, thanks for coming on for those of you listening. Um, thank you for sending in the, the questions and I hope you got a lot out of this episode and remember that, uh, this, this whole thing that, that we call hunting is, is, uh, it's, if it's a new experience for you, if it's a new adventure for you, um, this is the kind of stuff you should be listening to and talking, uh, talking about and, and really diving deep and educating yourself on how to become proficient in, in, in this craft, because that's what it is. It's a craft. As you can hear by listening to Roger, there's a lot of different approaches and there's a lot of different ways to, to practice this craft. Uh, and, and, you know, there's an endless amount of information that you could learn and it's all up to you as to how you apply that and, and what you want to learn because it's up to you what you want to get out of hunting. And I think that that's amazing and that's why we do it. So Roger, again, thanks brother for coming on and uh, let's, uh, let's talk soon. Thanks for having me, buddy. Thank you. You made it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Western Huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on.